everyone, and thanks for tuning in to TGMR, the Galleries at Moore Radio, a public talk radio station broadcasting from the Moore College of Art and Design. Listen live, search the archive of past broadcasts, or find out how you can get on the air at thegalleriesatmoore.org. My name is Imani Roach. Thank you for listening to another installment of our blog radio. Today, we have with us the one and only Martha Stuckey. Hello. <laughs> uh, who is a, what would I say, a performer, a tour de force, a one-woman army. Um, not always one woman, and we'll talk about that a little bit <laughs> later. Um, there are many reasons why we would probably want to talk to Martha. The specific occasion today, though, um, is in advance of her show coming up at the Kimmel Center due to the sensitive nature, uh, which is April 12th through the 14th. Is that right? That's right. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, also, I just wanted our listeners and our readers to get to know her and her practice a bit more. So I think we'll probably start by backing up in time, if that's OK with you. Sure. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so I understand that you are from Minnesota. Is that yes. correct? So how did you end up in Philly from the land of Prince? Um, (laughs) And then uh, sort of what's keeping you here? Well, um, I was actually in Spain, living in Spain, when I found out about the school that brought me to Philly. And um, while I was in Spain, I was teaching English, but... I kept seeking out opportunities to, to um, sing and perform and, uh, you know, talk to the school to get a keyboard in my house that I could keep there for the year and um, engineering opportunities for myself sort of without really realizing that that was a goal of mine. And so at a certain point I was like, all right, so this this is my life. This is what I want to be doing. I want to be performing, and um, how do I facilitate that when I get back? And uh, through a series of connections through my undergrad at St. Olaf College and um, my network that I had been making since college, I found out about the Pig Iron School, which is the training program, theater training program offered through Pig Iron Theater Company, and uh, when I was reading the language that um, focuses around creating your own work and doing sort of uh, deep investigation into really whatever you want in order to create a show, it felt a lot more like the theater that I wanted to make and the music that I wanted to make than the traditional path of auditioning and um, waiting for a phone call. So I got accepted. I had a summer to decide if I wanted to move to Philadelphia, a place I'd never been and knew nothing about. And I, I did it. If I was my friend at that time, I think about talking to myself and being like, you're crazy. <laughs> but I'm so glad I did. And uh, that's, yeah, that's how I got to Philadelphia. And, you know, Philadelphia is such a magical place in that it, um, it's a big town and there are big organizations and um, important 
uh, institutions and, and creative work happening here um, and, you know, groundbreaking sort of like the future of American theater, I would say, is being made in Philadelphia. Um, and the community around it is super accessible and I really met a lot of the people that I'm still working with in the first couple months that I was here. Mm. And I met the people who would support my work again in the first few months that I was here. And so um, it's a place that really facilitates the kind of work that I'm interested in, which is, is um, work that I make um, and or and or have a large hand in, in shaping. So I'm not just... I, I hate to use the phrase just an actor, but um, that I have more of uh, an impact on the content and the design even. Is that what devised theater means? Because I feel like that's, the program you were in was a devised theater program, right? Yeah, that's right. It's a physical theater program, and then it's also uh, ensemble devising is, is what the Pig Iron program focuses on. Um, yeah, devised theater... It can take many shapes. Um, for instance, what Pig Iron really focuses on is um, a sort of non-hierarchical process where you start with uh, an impulse. You start with a question or um, with a, a piece of art, some, some uh, uh, shared unit of, um, to begin with. Yeah. And then through the process of rehearsal, you create a piece together. And uh, because it's non-hierarchical, um, it also facilitates a process where everyone has a hand in every part of the design or of the, of the performance. So an actor uh, will step out and watch another scene and, and give their reflections as a director might. Um, Everyone gets to talk about the lighting design, things like that. Um, in the instance of this show, for due to the sensitive nature, it's been uh, collaboratively created with um, a couple of people, or I should say a handful. Um, and this process has been mostly me. I'm sort of the through line of all of these um, of, the, of the process and it's autobiographical so uh, that's another sort of flavor of, of, of devised work yeah it seems like that would involve a lot of thinking on your feet in front of other people um, which to me sounds terrifying <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, you know, I was looking at your website this morning and particularly at your manifesto mm. and I noticed that you do, I mean, you talk a, a lot about, you know, discomfort, nausea, fear, mm. uh, failure, mm. you know, that these are all things that you seem to be embracing. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I guess maybe that's just like an inevitable part of being an artist and you just have to get real about that stuff. But mm -hmm. I, um, I guess I'm wondering, uh, what attracted you to those kinds of, uh, I guess, experiences that I personally, you know, shy away from, and I think a lot of other artists are, like, afraid to embrace. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
Um, like, at what point in your path did you come to embrace those things? Have you always mm. just been, like, so, not fearless, right? Because it's not about fearlessness, but, like, have sure. you, uh, yeah, have you always had that kind of attitude? Well, ooh, I think that there is, I think the aspect of myself that I have had for most of my life is, uh, a desire to, to be seen mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's different from I mean a lot of people find it confusing that I could be an, an introverted person and still do what I do <clears throat> but um, and maybe we've talked about this before I'm having like flashbacks to, to a conversation but um, it's not I mean it's kind of like a lonely experience really performing or it's lonely isn't the word but it feels very um, isolated or can feel that way and so I think it makes it possible in a, in a wonderful way for an introvert to do something like sing to hundreds of people um, so I think that has that drive has been in me and because of other forces in my life and other curiosities in my life has led me to this kind of this version of being seen and doing what I do while being seen <laughs> Um, and yeah, in terms of the fearlessness, I mean, hmm, there's so much to say about it. Cause I also feel like, uh, this is one way that my artistic practice, I hope leaks into the, my sort of daily practice of living. And I think, um, there's great skill in being able to sit with the unknown and just observe it mm-hmm. and not shy away from or um, take actions to get away from it. Uh, I'm not sure I identified it for myself until I got to Pig Iron where I learned about clown. Mm. And and I should say that this is not not circus clown. I mean, it can be, but uh, it's not the um, red and white striped, big collar, big buttons, uh, white face version of the clown. It's more a mode of performance where the performer is very in contact with the audience. And what's true of how the performer feels and what's happening in the room is what's at play in the performance and so it really requires the performer to be in tune with themselves and also with the room Mm -hmm. and uh, in clown specifically it's encouraged to put yourself in situations uh, we call it putting ourselves in hot water Um, or uh, how else do we say it um I don't know if I can swear on this, but um, putting yourself in the shit uh, or um, playing to lose. These are all phrases that are tossed around because um, there's so much to be mined from those moments that that are in this style of performance that speaks so much to the human condition. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I think audiences can really tell when the performer is being honest and when they're really in the room mm-hmm. with them. And so failure becomes an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, an opportunity to do some more s- sort of self-investigation. And yeah, I've seen the, the most sublime moments of uh, that I've seen on stage have come from moments of failure in mm. clown. Um, and I've started to become really obsessed with with that mode of performance of being in contact with the audience in that way. So I'm feeling, I'm picking up some threads, I think, uh, even that apply to your current project, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. It's not out. Um, <laughs> it's not but really finished either. <laughs> well, but even in the title, like I feel like mm. the prompt, due to the sensitive nature um, and what is available to read about it online, it seems like you're kind of mining these questions about vulnerability and relationship to audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that piece come about? What was the sort of kernel um, idea? Yeah. Um, well, in June of last year, I was asked to be a part of this residency at, at the Kimmel, which is um, makes use of their SEI Innovation Studio, which is where the piece will be in a couple of weeks. Um, I think it's called the Theater Residency. Very straightforward. And uh, they ask... They gently push us in the direction of, quote, invading our own privacy. Hmm. And in talking with the folks who run the program, they were curious about um, what material I would write if I'm not writing from um, Red 40, which is this other character and band that I'm a part of, um, and is is like very obviously a clown and a character yeah. and, and all of that. So in this process, and I even even though we I had these conversations about invading my own privacy leading up to it, I went in with a really solid <laughs> thesis statement about what I wanted to say huh. with this material. And I talked to the director at one point. Um, her name is Ellie Heyman, and she was sort of a, an advisor for this residency. And she pointed out to me that um, that I was doing, I wasn't exactly, um, I wasn't in an active place with the material because mm-hmm. I had already decided where decided. I was at yeah. with it. Yeah, and so through this conversation with her, I started talking about a high school boyfriend that um, a breakup that I had with him, wherein he gave me an ultimatum. <laughs> I mean, high school re- yeah. boyfriends, right? I'm, I'm totally over it. I'm not repeating bad habits at all. <laughs> um, anyway, he his family sold kettle corn, right? <laughs> Stay with me <laughs> And on Sundays, they would go and sell kettle corn at, like, children's baseball tournaments. Huh. And in order for me to see him, I would usually have to go work for him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we'd have to leave at a certain hour, which precluded me from being able to be a part of church choir. Oh. And so his ultimatum was uh, quit church choir or we're going to have to break up because you can't sell kettle corn with me and I can't see you on these Sundays. And this relationship was, like, very complex and, you know ugly in so many ways leading up to it. I should have broken up with him so many times before for very legitimate reasons. But for some reason, sitting in my porch, talking to him 
and getting this ultimatum, it suddenly was just so clear to me because I was like, I can't get, quit church choir. They need me. <laughs> and like they'll fall apart. And my mom was a, is and was a church musician. And so I was just like, I can't quit church choir. So I guess we're breaking up. Like there, there you go. Um, and anyway, in recounting this story, which I think actually the better ending of the story is that he would go on to kidnap me or attempt to kidnap me a couple weeks later. And I did, there was no kidnapping, but it was very intense. Um, Wait, he actually did? He did try oh, wow. try to, okay. yeah. It was a situation where I was, like, being chased by him, and I got the door shut and locked in time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it's a potent – I mean, all of, all of these, like, colors um, in recounting the story uh, feel a lot – felt and feel a lot more active to me than what I know about being a woman in yeah. society. <clears throat> and, and actually – by reflecting on that story and and the many versions of that story that have played out in my life, it um, complicates what I think I know, huh. uh, what I think I have as thesis statements about being a woman. Right. And so uh, suddenly I was like, oh, this is why autobiography is so useful and mining personal experiences and really honoring that, um, that that that's super important because it does you can zoom in really close but end up learning so much you know that it um you end up zooming out and gaining so much more perspective on um on my life uh, in as a as a you know 30 almost 31 year old process but also hopefully the lives of of other people uh yeah, so that's been a really different uh, mode for my process to do this autobiographical work and took a little bit of, like, um, getting over the shame of, of uh, or, or the fear of uh, sharing something personal because it is, you do have to stand behind it. Yeah. You have to say, like, this is worthy for people to hear. And... I think that there are a lot of people in our society that that feel like when there are little experiences like this that feel like banal, that feel they don't feel pithy enough to like make up a story. We end up not being able to tell our stories, yeah. and so that was a big is it is something I'm still sort of contending with, like just opening my eyes when I'm singing a song mm. about something personal and yeah. sharing it. Because that that feels like a dare. It feels yeah. scary sometimes. So in the piece, are you performing as yourself, Martha Stuckey? Do you have a is there a persona that you're introducing through the work, or is it really like you, you? Um, well, the costume is gonna be built up. I'm working with um, Hannah Hamilton, who is an amazing artist and costume designer, and. Um, and the look is is really full, so you know, in in that sense, there's some distance, and also the piece is sort of a collage, I suppose. There is a linear thread that goes throughout it, but because these songs do refer to specific moments in my life, um, 
And I'm also introducing a, a theatrical world in the present mm. that there's a sense that we're going in and out of um, an, uh, my emotional life okay. in terms of like the present and the past, I guess. And yeah, going in and out of time um, or traveling through maybe um, that I think the same is true of character mm. that um, in moments an audience will watch and and be able to kind of peek through the curtains and see what is uh, experiences that still feel really active for me mm. and me being in that moment and then moving into another moment that's happening on stage that you know we've rehearsed and planned <laughs> and mm. um, has a sort of poetic logic these two moments being next to each other have a poetic logic um, but are the the combination of the two uh, moments, or all of these moments, will hopefully result in in um, a really full theatrical world that does involve some character. To answer your question, yeah. mm-hmm. that sounds really fascinating and really powerful, um, and I'm really excited to see it because I think you know I'm most familiar with you obviously as Red 40. I mean mm-hmm. I've I've performed with you separately, full <laughs> disclosure. <laughs> but um I'm most familiar with your work as Red 40. Mm-hmm. Um which, you know, as the band and as the lead singer of that band and as this huge character fully f- fleshed out um I mean, I remember the first time that I saw you kind of out of drag, I didn't even recognize you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I am excited to see like a more stripped back version of you, but it, mm-hmm. it's interesting because it also sounds like it's not just about like stripping away, it's about sort of revealing that process of stripping or mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. helping the audience maybe explore what character can do kind of by going in and out of character. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's right. Which, yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, I mean, about Red 40, Mm -hmm. I would love to know where she came from. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, how you arrived at that. Sure, yeah. So as a part of the Pig Iron School, which I actually did, I was a part of the first class, and that at that point it was just a certificate program, so that was two years. And I did go back to get my MFA. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the culmination of the two years, you're given... A prompt, and it's a really like abstract um, set of words, <laughs> and uh, it's sort of a nudge in, in a direction. And um, mine was the tail wags the dog, and I, based on that, I was like, I want to make a piece about backup dancers because I had seen some videos of. Of also like the Supremes, yeah. which you know, not that they're necessarily backup dancers, but um, this quality of movement that mm. allows you to sing, but is still and and because these performers did it so often, it has this really like hypnotizing quality. Yeah. So we started working on that project. I started working on it with a couple of collaborators in my school, and then I realized. I don't want to be a backup dancer. I want backup dancers. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I think that has a lot to do with, with um, my clown 
and myself as a performer. And so then I just kind of gave over to that pleasure and gave over to that um, desire and made this band. And it was the first songs that I had ever really written. I mean, I'd written like a couple before, but hated them. (laughs) Really like couldn't stand behind them. And so... Yeah, it, I because time was really short, which was like two weeks. Oh wow! Um, I was just I just threw stuff up against the wall, and um, my collaborator Alex Bechtel really helped with that too. Just just um, be like, yeah, it's a song. If you say it's a song and it has notes and you sing it, or even if it doesn't have notes and you don't sing it, it's a song. There you go, and it makes it a lot easier to 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 be fearless. And so we performed at the, um, you know, Pig Iron graduation performances, so to speak. And based on that, we got a gig. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so we, it was on, on Ray Street Pier, actually, which is actually one of the coolest places I think we've ever performed. And it was our, really our first or second performance. And then, and then we just kept getting booked. Right. And then we started seeking out some opportunities for ourselves. Um, and then got this residency at Fringe Arts for a couple of years, performing monthly. So that's the story of the band. And I guess to your question of where Red 40 comes from, I mean, actually, in making this show and charting back these autobiographical experiences, um, I started to see the the line that led up to Red 40 before I really knew that there was anything that led up to it. Mm. And, uh, yeah, there's there's another story that's coming to mind that I think I sh- I'll just tell really quickly, but um, when I was a, a freshman in high school, the baseball team sat in this long table right by the place where you drop off your food or you, like, throw your food away or whatever, your waste, and you le- return the tray. And um, I started realizing that when I went and dropped off my tray that they were, like, looking at me in this weird way. Mm-hmm. And and I started to realize it was m- my butt. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that was a pivot. But, uh, <laughs> but they were talking about my butt. That They were, like, and they also, of course, like, wanted me to know. Right. Um, And so I had to have, like, friends walk me up to return my tray and, like, cover me or whatever. And, you know, secretively, shamefully, I was like, well, phew, I'm a freshman in high school. Somebody, like, I'm going to get a high school boyfriend. Great. And so, but also the, um, the additional layer of shame for feeling pleasure in the face of shame and also anger that all of this is happening at all. Yeah. And so that that um, experience is sort of like, to me, the kernel maybe or a kernel where um, I started I could play out like an alternate fantasy of oh. being like, oh, you like you like how this looks. Like, what if I do it like a bunch more <laughs> to the point where like it's it's like if you like this, then you should like it. If I do it two hundred fifty percent, right? <laughs> Right? And so it's this way of being like, I see you. Huh. I see you seeing me. And I'm going to, like, be a mirror back to you. Huh. And show them, like, how 
absurd it is for you to do this to me. Huh. How gross you are. Huh. Like, the shame you should feel. And so I think Red 40 is, is a, yeah, a manifestation of that and, like, a punisher and huh. um, and uh, a way of of putting the funhouse mirror on this like sexual objectification mm. and um, making it grotesque and uh, I mean I also just love singing Beyonce songs right. <laughs> and um, and like using and just like being loud and like singing in this like really almost operatic way at times like it just feels good mm-hmm. um yeah and in terms of the the where it came from I think it's I think it comes from New Ulm High School baseball team's fuckery <laughs> <laughs> so wow um I mean so on the question of singing Beyonce songs it's interesting you do you do your own material you also mm-hmm. do covers she feels also like very citational to me and maybe it's I think because we're of similar generation and I just like under I feel like I get the references you're pulling from Mm. and you're like embodying this funhouse punisher diva character (laughs) Uh um part of what I'm asking about the character of Red 40 I think is about her approach to vocalization because she does a lot of other things on stage but um, at the end of the day, like, you're singing your face off, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> um, and so, I, I don't know, I feel like maybe this is just, like, more of a music question. Mm. Um, how did you find your voice at mm. Red 40? And who are you drawing from? Like, what are you referencing? You mm. know? Right, well, so I, I'm from Minnesota, as you mentioned, and and as I mentioned, come from, like, church tradition and also St. Olaf um the college I went to is is very steeped in Lutheran choral tradition so um in my performative life before I was I mean really like probably before Red 40 existed I was singing classical music I was singing opera um my mom was an opera singer and is a voice teacher and so um and so I was trained in that tradition. Um, I was singing solos in church. I was in musicals, whatever. But it was a really... I remember once I got this solo, we were singing Respect by Aretha Franklin. Like a bunch of like... In Lutheran church? No, this was for school. Oh, for school. But it, like a bunch of like... Fucking... Uh, a bunch of like white Minnesotans being like, Hurry, yes, be easy to... Like, so embarrassing. And I remember feeling confused because, meanwhile, while this was, like, my public life in private, I was listening to, like, Brandy, and um, I was obsessed with the movie Sister Act 2, Back oh in the Habit. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that movie. And Lauren Hill. Yeah. And um, yeah. Beyonce, I guess that was a little bit later, but, like, yeah. you know, I guess Destiny's Child, it was, like, 90s, early aughts. Yeah. Um, and I would sing, you know, privately in like this really open free way, but then even when I'm being asked to like, to sing respect, which is, you know, its own, um, is open and free, I I couldn't do it. And I think it was just because the context that it was in and maybe like Minnesotan values of being like, don't be ostentatious, like rein it in, um, that I, I didn't feel like I could translate it. Huh. 
And so with Red 40, suddenly it gave me an opportunity. And I don't, I, I, it wasn't conscious necessarily, but suddenly it was like, here's the avenue where I can sing like this. Uh. And I think it has something to do with like singing my own music. Like some of the, like you were saying, we sing Beyonce songs and, um, or we play Beyonce songs, I sing them. Um, but we also, you know, I have original songs that are super emotional and um, do the punishment thing but in this really like heartbroken from this really heartbroken place and so I I guess I'm I'm thinking aloud a little bit but I think um, you know when I'm writing a song and I start to cry I'm like okay this is good Uh, like I'm, I'm going in a direction that's authentic and honest and there are still songs there's one song that is actually due to the sensitive nature where I like I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it without crying um and it's an upbeat song it's actually kind of like mystifying to me but um I think once if you access the like sweet spot where um where you feel like this is a thing that you are meant to say and this is the time that you're meant to say it and um this is the voice that's meant to say it because it's your own um, that it does open you up. You mentioned your mother a couple times. Mm. I had a note because I was looking through your resume. You list mm. her as like your first vocal teacher and as your piano teacher of classical piano. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an opera singer, which is something that you have in common with the great Mariah Carey. You both come from opera singers. <laughs> um, so what was that like having a mother uh, with that sort of creative background? Um, You know, were you encouraged into singing? (laughs) Were you discouraged? (laughs) Yeah, so my mom, um, she went to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. So it's like, that's a prestigious school for opera. And um, I think pretty quickly decided to to have a family. Mm. And, um, And so she transitioned into teaching pretty quickly and she taught at a college and I would go with her to recitals sometimes and um and so my main experience of my my mother's musical life um was uh being around it a bunch including like our our home because she taught lessons lessons at home and so she would like tell these stories about how like I would I would be singing one of the 24 Italian songs in arias, like, very loudly during one of her lessons, um, or in, in, like, even if it's in my room, or when I was even littler, like, walking through the space and correcting people and whatever. So it was just, there was music around all the time, and she's really careful not to train people when they're too young, Ah. because, um she believes and I believe her to be right that if you if you aim for like a really big operatic voice when you don't have the mechanisms to do it that you can damage those mechanisms huh. or future mechanisms and so she didn't teach me voice lessons until I was 16 oh wow yeah and then piano I was like you better leave me alone like I do not want you to sit next to me <laughs> and tell me what to do and maybe it's like a middle child thing but I was very independent and so she would leave music for me on the piano, huh. and I would just sight read. So I'm a, a really good sight reader. That's maybe like my 
main skill as a Ooh, as a pianist. Lucky. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so stuff. great at everything else. <laughs> but yeah, so at a certain point, I had to audition for um, vocal uh, scholarships, vocal scholarships, mm-hmm. and I have to call my mom out, but she was like, "You don't have to do it. Like, it's so competitive. Like, Hi. you don't have to do it." And I think it was also her dissuading me from what is legitimately a really challenging life, whether you're an opera singer or um, a performer of really any ilk and um, artist of any ilk. It's it's in a society that doesn't value art, it's an uphill battle. And so I appreciate her caution. Um, I went ahead and did it anyway. (laughs) And I got scholarships. And, um, you know, that all being said, she's very very proud and has even remarked about um the way that I use my voice is sort of in the vein of the conversation we were having a couple minutes ago about like um opening up and being more free you know she can like see that in my performance now and she really wants me to submit my songs to Jimmy Kimmel (laughs) she's like you should tweet Amber Rose she's from Philadelphia (laughs) yeah she has all these like schemes um so she's she's really supportive um yeah and so I have to credit her for me being a singer at all or like um having the musicianship that I have now despite the dissuade the dissuading she was doing early on well on the topic of a society that doesn't value artists Mm -hmm. um we also are in a society that doesn't particularly value women Mm -hmm. um and you are a female artist Mm -hmm. uh who seems to be largely spearheading her own endeavors Mm. um and i have to say from having been in some limited rehearsal context with you, mm-hmm. um, you have a very sort of commanding presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I guess I'm wondering how you arrived at that level of sort of calm determination and also um, how you navigate running projects like the one that you're doing right now because mm-hmm. I know that can't be easy like I, I know mm. even from my own, my own experience that um, people don't take women seriously mm. just in life mm-hmm. <clears throat> in music and performance in particular mm-hmm. people don't take women seriously people don't take art seriously people don't take young women seriously mm. all of these things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so like how do you be a boss Martha? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well I think I think uh, some of it is just my personality. And it's Aries season. I'm in Aries. <laughs> it's all, every time Aries season comes around and I see, like, woman after woman having birthdays, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Of course you're an Aries female. Of course you're an Aries female. <laughs> so astrology aside, I think I just am sort of a natural leader. Um and and would forge ahead in sort of like my skill set of being able to like synthesize a bunch of desires um know my own and like find a way through it and then as i got older i started i i started to notice this um, not being taken seriously or the baggage that people bring to having um a woman in charge yeah. and 
And that, I mean, yeah, what a what a bummer to use a euphemism. <laughs> but that was a huge and continues to be a huge source of anxiety and shame. So I, I'm flattered that it looks like calm determination because, you know, inside I'm like, don't apologize for that. <laughs> are, are they like talking about me behind my back? You know? Yeah. Um, and I've had really overt moments of um, of that kind of shaming, like um, uh, I'm trying to. So yeah. we were recording an album. We were recording an album, Red Forty, and um, we recorded a track. And some of the people in the band were like, "It's too fast." Some people in the band said, "It's too slow." It was the end of the night. People were like a little drunk and tired, and I just said, "Well, let's record it two more times. One time faster. One time slower." And somebody who's not in the band turned around and looked at me and said, whoa, Hillary. What? Yeah, but um, just for the listeners out there, Imani made a face that I made, <laughs> which is like, uh, yeah, a cock of the neck and like big eyes. And so immediately he walked it back. But I was like, wow. I mean, by... It is based on my skill set that you are getting paid right now. Like, there's money in the bank for this project because I said something authoritative to some people and by a series of authoritative statements um, got me to this place. So, like, if you want to continue to profit off of that, you better shut your mouth. Like, what a shocking... And this was before, yeah. you know, November. <laughs> so um, now it feels really different where I'm like, oh, now I see. Like, that right. sheds some light on the situation we're in right now. And, I mean, yeah. I, I think for a lot of reasons that November of 2016 was, was traumatic. But I remember um, because of my experience of being a woman leader and feeling such, like, shame and anxiety around it... Um, that seeing a woman lose because of this internalized misogyny was was absolutely devastating. Was absolutely devastating, and and continues to inform moments when I I'm in in leadership positions because um, I think it's 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 just like the most tragic manifestation of the fact that we don't take women seriously. Um, so now, I mean, Red 40, like I said, is, this, is like, comes out of me, comes from something within me, mm-hmm. and allows in performative context me to, like, to do the things that are a little bit um, no-nos, like mm-hmm. being a woman in charge. Um, and I think in those moments where I have to be in charge, sometimes I'll take, I'll take a little bit of, like, energy and power from that version of myself in order to say something declarative and stand behind it. And, you know, I it's still sort of like a constant practice to to be calm and to, to say something without apologizing for it. Just last night in rehearsal, at one point I stopped something because I was like, this isn't the right tempo, whatever. And I stopped it and I said, I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. then I said, actually, I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry, but thank you. Um, because I think there's like a benevolent dictatorship <laughs> that's possible, but um, yeah. but you know it, it's it's really complicated. And even with Red Forty, you know, which is like, I'm 
I'm wearing a wig. Yeah. Like, I don't have, just because my voice is amplified doesn't necessarily mean I have any more power than somebody else in the than an audience member in the room. I understand with, like, the facade of performance it feels that way. Yeah. But um, it never fails to shock me when I'll say something on New Year's Eve a couple years ago. I... I was talking about it was, it was after the election. I still feel a lot of responsibility to um, make the space of Red Forties performances the opposite of the space outside. So I said something like, um, "In this space, um, the people who are in charge aren't there. Out there are not in charge in here. Actually, you are like less powerful." Um, and we we had this freak flag. We made a freak flag and had we pledged allegiance to it, and. Um, by virtue of this language, which was like largely poetic, there were two men who um, were so offended by it. And I also, at one point in the in the tradition of bikini bikini kill, mm-hmm. and um, wow, I'm, for, I'm forgetting her name, the lead singer of Bikini Kill, who would say "Girls to the Front," uh-huh. Kim. Anyway, um, I at one point said "Women to the Front." And these two men stayed and even, like, tried to get on stage, like, stepped <gasps> up on stage with me. Wow. And my two backup singers at the time, like, had to come and flank me to, like, protect me. And I had friends who had to take them out, and they were, like, using slurs against the other backup dancers. And, like, and I, and I swear it was because of, of this implication this like gentle implication and like in this fantasy world which I do not to say that like the theatrical world isn't powerful or like the performance space is unpowerful but like the implication that even in that space that I'm challenging the power structure would would compel these men to become like violent and and they did actually outside like did some like pushing and stuff from people yeah it's wild and of course they asked for a refund for their dinner and the ticket and they got it no yeah Yeah. but anyway it's just yeah it's still wild to me that like even in this situation it's unacceptable for a woman to assert her space right well, as a woman who's currently asserting her space at the Kimmel Center, mm. um, how is the rehearsal process going? And and also, you know, is this the end for this particular piece? Are you going to be driving the ship to another port? <laughs> there are so many puns for discovering. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm going to use this later in rehearsal. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think in. In the devised world, having a show that can fit into a trunk of a car is is a sort of like, I don't know if I want to say the gold standard, but is super useful to have because to have in your back pocket so you can bring it to different festivals or producing organizations, things like that. And so I would love that to be true. I also think the songs can stand alone hmm. in a concert sense, so... Yeah. Um, I would love, it's a goal of mine as an artist. We've done like a little bit of touring as Red 40, but I would love um, to have like a, a longer tour and like a touring life eventually, seasonally. But uh, yeah, so I, I hope there's life beyond it. And we are, there's so far like two projectors, classroom projectors that we're using, um, screens, costumes, and 
Um, right now it's four musicians and me. I think if we needed to, we could make it even more lean. Mm. So yeah, and in terms of the, where we're at in the rehearsal process, we just had our first day of rehearsal yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's wild. So we did have the, I, I worked on the June residency, of course, last year, and then I was approached to do a full production, and they, um, and I asked for a workshop period in December um, where I could touch back on these things, and it was actually really useful because a lot shifted in my life between June and December. That's, that's um, heavily impacting the content. And so, um, it's been living in my head for a long time and just becoming manifest now these two weeks before mm -hmm. the performance. And so, yeah, I think in devised processes, and really I think this speaks broadly to like any time you work in a group, but a spe specifically a, a creative process where there's a lot of um, humanity in the room that you want to go in with a lot of positivity and generosity and with an eye towards playfulness and pleasure and feeling um, freedom. And so, um, yeah, yesterday we just started learning the, the music. There was some, like a minor version of a song and a couple totally new songs and then touching on songs that the musicians already knew. Um, and that all went great, and uh, and that spirit of generosity was was definitely in the room, um, and yeah, there's a lot to do, and I think a lot of people understand the feeling of like not enough time to do it, um, but sometimes, of course, those limitations can feel can be inspiring too. Um, necessity is the mother of invention, and all of that. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're going okay <laughs> in this early stage. Well, we have been talking for quite a while. Mm. I went over partially just because I wanted to hear everything and absorb <laughs> all of the insight and wisdom. Um, but I think we should probably wrap up. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming in, Martha. Um, yeah, can you remind you. people the name of the show, where, how they can get tickets, all that? Sure, sure. So... Um, it's due to the sensitive nature. It's at the Kimmel Center in the SEI Innovation Studio. There's only three performances. Um, that's on April 12th, April 13th, and April 14th. And it's my birthday on April 14th. Oh, hey. So if you come, um, bring some cake. <laughs> and uh, the way to get tickets is online. Um, if you search due to the sensitive nature of Martha Stuckey or maybe Martha Stuckey Kimmel. Um, I think even if you just search your name. Oh, cool. Because when I was looking for your website this morning, the first thing that popped up was due to the sensitive nature. Great. Great. So it's on the internet. Yeah. It's accessible to you. <laughs> okay. um, what else can I say? Yeah, I think that's it. I, I hope. Oh, it's BYO. That's what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so cake and champagne. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Martha. Thank you. This has been another installment of Art Blog Radio. Until next time, this is Imani Roach. Bye. <laughs>